everyone, and welcome to the lecture podcast for the writing process, a chapter in your open access textbook, Let's Get Writing. As always, you can find the lecture slides in PDF form uh, to accompany this podcast in the Canvas module. Your textbook breaks the writing process into a series of steps, starting with pre-writing, which is deciding what you want to write about the topic, gathering information evidence to support or explain what you want to say, and planning the way that you organize your ideas. From there, you move to drafting, writing the first copy of the piece, uh, often known as the rough draft. From there, revising, reconsidering the ideas and content of the piece of work, uh, and thinking about both form, how your essay says what it says, and content, what it is actually saying. After that is editing and proofreading, in which you correct grammar, punctuation, spelling, and mechanics, and finally publishing, or turning it in, or whatever the process looks like when you share the final draft with others. And if you were listening to this description and thinking, normally when I write papers, I skip a few of these steps, you're not alone. But the truth is that following these steps is a good way to create strong, cohesive writing across the board, and especially in an academic context where careful organization uh, and good attention to detail in both what you're saying and how you say it really will pay off for you. Is it possible to just write a first draft 20 minutes before a thing is due and then to turn it in? Yes, it's absolutely possible. Will this result in your best work? No, it will not. Very few people are capable of writing a perfect draft the first time through. I say very few, and I haven't ever encountered this. So make sure that you think about adapting these steps. Pre-writing, the first step in your reading, is about thinking and planning before you write. So one of the first things that you want to do, actually the first thing you want to do, is familiarize yourself with the assignment that you're working on. Look at the parameters, look at the prompt, uh, how much work are you supposed to do, and what kind of work are you supposed to do. This includes looking at things like the word count or page numbers. Uh, is there a specific question or series of questions you're supposed to be answering? Are you choosing or creating your own topic? You want to think also about the purpose of the text you're producing. Uh, are you writing something to inform? Are you attempting to persuade your audience? Are you expressing an idea or emotion? Who is your audience? What kind of readership are you trying to reach here? Are you writing a paper to get a good grade from your professor? All right, your professor is your audience. Are you trying to persuade your classmates uh, to adopt a particular resolution or idea? Who are you writing for? How prepared are you to do this writing? Do you have the knowledge, the information, the sources that you need? If you don't, where will you find them? There are a lot of strategies that your book describes that you can use for the pre-writing stage. Uh, they've got a list for you on slide four here, and they include things like free writing or brainstorming, uh, writing down your thoughts and ideas to look through and organize later. You can list things, you can journal, you can create topic clouds or clusters, seeing how to connect your ideas, and you can make traditional outlines. And again, that's covered in more detail in your 
book. If you have to develop your own topic, there are a lot of questions that you can ask yourself to sort of get a handle on the topic before you start writing about it. Why are you interested in the topic? Would your audience be interested? Why? What would interest them? Do you have prior knowledge or experience with the topic? Uh, why do you want to learn more about the topic? Why do you think your audience would want to learn more? Is it specific? What specifics or details about this topic stand out to me? Uh, and does it fit the purpose of the assignment? Can it meet the required length of the assignment? So always keep that sort of pragmatic consideration in mind. As you write, you want to build your text, build your essay, build your assignment around a thesis, a main claim or idea. And you want to know, at least in theory, what this is before you start writing it. Check your thesis. Is it a complete thought? Is it arguable? Meaning, have you taken a position that others could challenge or oppose that you then need to defend or prove? Is it provable? Can you make the case you want to make with the evidence you have? Is it specific? Uh, be careful of saying things like the author does a good job of creating characters if you're writing an English essay. In order to be a really good thesis, you need to break down what good job actually means. Are these characters effective because they're so realistically portrayed, because they're so complex, because they're so likable? As be as specific as you can be. That will make it, one, easier to argue, and two, because you'll be able to find the specific evidence, and two, easier for your reader to follow. Another good litmus test for a thesis is why does it matter uh, or so what? What does your reader get from this essay? Uh, what kind of understanding does, it, does he or she get from what you've written? Is it a new way to read a particular text? Is it an understanding of a historical period or a concept? What is the payoff? And if you can't think of a payoff, you need to go back and break it down. After you've written a draft, make sure you go back and revisit your thesis. It's not uncommon for your thesis to change as, you've, as you're writing. That is, for your paper to make an argument that is a little bit different, or sometimes even very different, from what you set out to argue. And that's fine. Just go back to your thesis statement and alter it to make sure that it reflects the paper that you've actually written. Your textbook also gives you a list of essay components. And while I think this is a useful list, I want to emphasize for you here that there are always exceptions. Formulas are comforting, but they're not universal. That said, the normal, normal, the usual suspects or components are listed for you on slide 10 here. And this may look familiar from your high school experience. A common framework for a college essay, an academic essay, includes a title, usually the last thing you create, but is but a very useful component. Please do not call your papers essay one, essay two, paper A, etc. Titles, when done right, give your reader an insight into what your paper is about. If you can't think about, or if you can't think of a title that is more descriptive than paper one, it's probably a good indicator that you aren't really comfortable or familiar with the material of your own argument. Moving on, many papers contain introductions. This is where you present your thesis statement and set up how your paper is going to go and what it's going to do. The middle or body of your paper contains supporting paragraphs that convey evidence that prove the thesis that you've laid out in your introduction. And then there's the conclusion. 
On slide 11, you can see the graphic that the textbook includes. Introduction introduces the subject and comes to a point. Thesis statement, the controlling idea of the essay. And then the body, which is made up of paragraphs, each one containing a topic sentence, which is like a thesis for the paragraph, that leads back to the overall thesis. So the body of the essay contains paragraphs that add up to uh, prove the ultimate argument. And you can see there are three in this model. The five paragraph essay is a high school staple. Introduction, body point one, body point two, body point three, conclusion. It is very, 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 very rare that you will find a high school, or excuse me, a college professor that wants you to adhere with absolute fidelity to this model. Generally speaking, the body of your essay, the number of paragraphs that it takes to demonstrate your thesis, is equal to the number of paragraphs you need to demonstrate that thesis. Please do not try to MacGyver all the points that you want to make into three paragraphs just because it works for the model. The most important thing about this model is not the number of body paragraphs it demonstrates, but this idea that each paragraph is a discrete unit organized around a single point, and also that each paragraph is linked to the next one by a transition, a connection between paragraphs. If you look at slide 12, you'll see the last part of that graphic from your textbook, the conclusion. Uh, here it says restatement of thesis, and then in parentheses it says varies with instructor and it says conclusion begins with thesis statement and widens toward a final broad statement. It is very rare in college papers, particularly college papers in the humanities and social sciences, that an, an instructor will want you to restate your thesis. Especially in papers of a shorter length, your thesis is readily apparent. If your reader manages to forget your main idea by the time you've written several paragraphs or pages, then you're not doing a great, idea, a great job of proving that main idea. So generally speaking, a conclusion is where we sum up. It's where you present the final thought or idea. Unless explicitly instructed to, please disregard this model. Please do not restate your thesis statement. This is a model that works very well for AP tests. This is a model that is very difficult to read in the wild. It makes an argument sort of feel circular. So I'm presenting this to you here with the caveat that even though your textbook presents this model to you, you do not have to adhere to it perfectly. And you particularly don't need to adhere to it in this idea of conclusions. Next topic is the subject of paragraphs. Paragraph is a collection of sentences that supports a specific idea. Every paragraph should have a topic sentence. That's the sentence that organizes all of the other sentences and that proves the point of the paragraph. All the other sentences should support it. One point, one paragraph. You shouldn't have multiple topic sentences in a paragraph. You want to have one central idea and the rest of the sentences support it. Topic sentences are, by their very nature, analytical, meaning they need to be proven. Facts, information, evidence, they can support the topic sentence, but they aren't the topic sentence. I'll give you an example of a paragraph. I'll read it to you, and as I read, think about what you think the topic sentence might be. There are no snakes in Ireland. Ounce for ounce, the most deadly snake in North America is the coral snake. North America is teeming with snakes, including four poisonous species. Snakes also eat insects. 
This is on slide 15. Now, if you look at this slide, right, you can see that in this paragraph, there is some really interesting information. But if you look at this paragraph, can you tell me what you're supposed to do with this information? Why is your writer telling you any of this? How do these sentences relate to each other? Broadly speaking, they do, right? You can see that they all focus on snakes. However, that's not enough. The truth is that this paragraph doesn't have a topic sentence. It's a collection of random snake facts, and thus it's not really effective as a paragraph. This is from the first draft of a student essay about snakes. I know, no one's shocked by that topic. Here is the paragraph that was revised for the second draft. This is on slide 16. Snakes do far more good than harm, so the best thing to do if you see one is to leave it alone. North America is teeming with snakes, including four poisonous species. Ounce for ounce, the most deadly snake in North America is the coral snake. The chances of dying from any variety of snake bite, however, are slim. Less than 1 in 25 million per year in the U.S. Snakes, moreover, contribute to a healthy ecosystem. They help to control the rodent population and they eat insects. Far more people die from the complication of insect bites than from snake bites. So you can see here, not only has our student writer found much more specific detail about snakes to include, but she's also created a topic sentence that tells readers what they should do with this information. So snakes do far more good than harm, so the best thing to do if you see one is to leave it alone. That first sentence tells you what you want to do with the rest of this information. It tells you what the author wants you to understand about snakes, that they're more beneficial than they are harmful. So leave them alone. Even though there are lots of them around, see that second sentence there, North America's teeming with snakes, uh, the chance from dying from any variety of snake bite are very slim. So there are a lot of them, but statistically speaking, not very dangerous. Uh, insects are more dangerous. Snakes contribute to a healthy ecosystem, so that's them doing more good than harm. They help control the rodent population, they eat insects, which are deadly. So see, here you can see that all of the sentences in this paragraph work to support the topic sentence, the thesis of the paragraph, if you will. All of these sentences are reasons to believe that snakes do more good than harm. And you get a much better sense of what the argument is in this paragraph uh, than you did in the first version. So topic sentences are very useful. Students always ask, and it's a good question, does it matter where in the paragraph a topic sentence goes? And the truth is that it really doesn't. As long as your paragraph has a topic sentence, that's really all you need. However, it's worth pointing out that where you put your topic sentence has a, a, a real effect on the form of your paragraph. So it has an effect on the way a reader processes it. I'll give you a couple of examples. If you look at slide 19, this is an ex excerpt from Marissa Nunez's argument, climb, or essay, Climbing the Golden Arches. You'll see a paragraph where the topic sentence is at the beginning, as it was in that last example we looked at. Working at McDonald's has taught me a lot. The most important thing I've learned is that you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. I've learned to take this seriously. If you're gonna run a business, you need to know how to do all the other jobs. I also have more patience than ever, and I've learned how to control my emotions. I've learned how to get along with all different kinds of people. I'd like to have my own business someday, and working at McDonald's is what showed me I could do that. 
So you can see that the topic sentence, working at McDonald's has taught me a lot, is the thing that organizes all of these other sentences. And it also sets you up for how you want to interpret all the other information that she's giving you here. So everything else in this paragraph is about what McDonald's has taught her. This, put your topic sentence in the first sentence of a paragraph, is useful, again, because it sort of predisposes your reader to read everything through the lens of your topic. However, if you don't put your topic sentence at the beginning, if you instead move it closer to the end, then it feels like your paragraph is building up to that point. So there's more of a sense of drama, uh, of realization when that moment comes. If we look at this excerpt from Michael Crichton's happiness, we can see that what matters is friends and family and human relationships, what you did for other people, what they did for you, how you helped and were helped, where you cared and were cared for. That's the heart of happiness and all the rest is commercial hustle. Don't buy it. Make the world a better place and you will make your life worthwhile. Make your life worthwhile and you'll be happy. You don't need to buy anything or ask anybody for advice. You can just go do it. You can see that everything at the beginning of the paragraph and as it progresses is building toward this final point. And so all of the evidence hits you before the takeaway. Make your life worthwhile and you'll be happy. So neither of these is bad. Both of these models have advantages uh, and disadvantages. They create a different style. As long as your paragraphs have a topic sentence, as long as all of the other sentences support and reinforce that topic sentence, as long as there's only one, you're in good shape, no matter where in the paragraph you decide to put it. Your textbook also gives you some great information on how you want to think about the integrity of your paragraph. Linkages, present an idea, topic sentence, and then link the rest of the ideas in the paragraph to it. We talked about that already. Parallelism and consistency, use the same point of view and the same verb tense throughout. So if you start in the first person, working at McDonald's has taught me a lot, keep going that way. If you start in the present tense, has taught me, uh, you want to keep going that way as well. Don't switch to the past tense halfway through. This just makes it easier for your reader to follow. The other suggestion that your textbook gives you about paragraphs is to be careful about transitions. Be careful about in the sense that you need them and you need them to be specific. So transitions are the ways that you connect your ideas to each other with as much detail as possible to explain how you're getting from one idea to the next. And I say with as much detail as possible, I don't mean transitions need to be long. They just need to be specific. If you look at slide 22, there is an example of a not particularly specific and thus not particularly effective transition. Amy Tan became a famous author after her novel, The Joy Luck Club, skyrocketed to the bestseller list. There are other things to note about Tan as well. Amy Tan also participates in the satirical garage band, The Rock Bottom Remainders with Stephen King and Dave Barry. The transition here, there are other things to note about Tan as well. Technically, it links the ideas. Amy Tan is a famous author and she does other things. But it's not very specific, and it sort of leaves your reader wondering, why do I care? So look at slide 23 now. Here you have a much more specific and thus much more effective transition. Amy Tan became a famous author after her novel, The Joy Luck Club, skyrocketed up the bestseller list. Though her fiction is well known, 
Her work with the satirical garage band The Rock Bottom Remainders receives far less publicity. Here, the transition is specific. It tells you what the connection between Amy Tan, the famous author, and Amy Tan, the garage band uh, musician is. And that is particularly a relationship between she's famous for her fiction, she's not famous for this thing. Probably everyone, the author assumes, knows that Amy Tan is a famous author. Probably very few people know that she also plays in a garage band. So you can see the ideas are organized here. The final chapter segment focuses on revising, or how you want to interact with a draft once you've created it. And on slide 25, I've copied some of the strategies that the textbook advises. If possible, it's good to take some time between the first draft and your later revisions. It's easier to see things objectively with a little bit of distance. Um, some people recommend revising on hard copy, so printing something out and looking at it. If that's not a strategy that works for you, that's quite all right. Uh, but make sure that you look at your draft carefully. Reading it out loud will really help you hear when something sounds awkward. We talk and listen much more than we read and write. So it's easier to hear yourself or to hear issues things that are too complex, things that don't make sense, then it can be to see them. One strategy, if you don't feel like reading your own work, is to ask Google or Siri to read it for you. It's also a good idea to revise in stages, to look at separate parts of your draft uh, in different intervals. So when you revise, revise for overall meaning and structure. Do you have your thesis? Is it clearly developed? Um, all, her, all of the formal elements, the, the tone, the point of view, do they suit the audience? Are the paragraphs well-developed? Do they have topic sentences? Are they logically ordered? Do they have connections between ideas? Revise your sentence structure. Make sure that each sentence is consistent in that it makes sense, that it has, it uses the same verb tense, uh, and also that it is neither two paragraphs long nor two words long, right? So that it sort of flows. After you've revised, you want to edit, proofread, and format, and these all mean different things. Often when students revise an essay or when they say they're revising an essay, what they really mean is they've proofread the essay. Proofreading is not revision. So let's go through these steps. These are on slide 26. When you edit, you search for grammatical errors, punctuation, spelling, sentence style, word choice. This is a formal edit um, where you look for aspects of the text that need to be corrected in order to look professional and look like care was taken. Proofreading, look for surface errors such as typographical errors, typos, incorrect spacing, formatting. So look for even smaller errors in the text and correct them, and then format them. Some professors will ask you to use MLA style guidelines, some will ask you to use APA, Turabian. There are a number of different style guidelines. When a professor asks you to use MLA style, don't worry about that until the final stage of your essay. Once you have your draft, then you can go to that particular style guide your instructor hasn't provided a link to a formatting, um, to, to a description of that format, just Google it. There are quite a few of them about. 
and then you can make sure that you are using the correct font, the correct margins, etc., to make your work follow the style guide. And then, and only then, do you want to publish or turn in your work. All right, that concludes the writing process lecture. And make sure that you have done the reading, that you listen to the lecture, as you're doing right now, that you check out the lecture slides, as you've, hopefully, as you've hopefully been doing alongside the lecture. Please let me know if you have any questions or concerns. There will be more writing podcast next week.